Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on the 1012 Podcast, we know when the 2024 Big 12 football schedule will be released. Plus, Houston's basketball defense is ridiculous. Why BYU has to live and die by the three. And Aoka Lee is going to be out for at least a month. The impact that will have on the Big 12 and the Big 12 Women's Basketball Player of the Year race. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference Plus, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. We are the flagship show, the 1012 Network. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com. And we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday or Tuesday, if that happens to be the day you listen to this particular episode or sometime in the future. Uh, you know what we do on Mondays. We recap the weekend that was joining me as she does pretty much every week. She is the 1012 vibe queen, the what once was the uh, Discord overlord of the 1012, the 1012 Discord now gone. And I think we're going to call her the uh, the wizard of women's hoops in the Big 12. She is JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson. All right, yeah. Let's just keep the titles rolling. I'm I'm here for it. Um, I'm ready. It's been, it's been a week. It'll continue to be some weeks. Uh, we've got quite a bit to talk about. So we've got quite a bit on the women's side yeah. to talk about. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, and some some good stuff on the men's side as well. Uh, Andy is a little under the weather, so he will not be here today. I can already hear the Kansas State fans like cheering off in the distance. Those that listen to the show, uh, don't worry. It's not just Jamie and me. In his stead, we're very excited to welcome Nate Slack of KSL News. Nate, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you. My ten twelve debut. It's a great day. I mean, you've been one I've kind of had circled. You and I have DM'd a bit and, and chatted, mm-hmm. and we follow each other on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And so it seemed like a perfect opportunity to get you on here. I know you uh, you pay close attention, especially to the softball, which I, we're going to have you back on again soon because softball season is just a couple weeks away. But uh, I have got to know more about this BYU team because it just seems like this weird enigma of like it is good and we've had a bunch of conversations before now about whether the team is good or not and I still think they're good but I do think they obviously have a flaw that we want to get to so we're gonna we're gonna start with one piece of news um the report is that the big 12 
is expected to release the 2024 football schedule on Tuesday, January 30th. That is according to Max Olson of The Athletic. He said it's according to sources. I've seen a few other people tweet it as well, but Max was the first one I saw put it out there. Uh, obviously, we know who each team will be playing this year and where. We've just been waiting to find out the wa- the when. Uh, I believe the Big 12 by that date will be the last Power 4. Got to get used to saying that conference to release the full schedule so i know we're all very excited about that our long winter is coming to an end we'll finally get to start making plans about what games when you want to see uh in big 12 this year it just keeps getting closer and closer i am excited for it um one quick little football note i i i was pro um the kansas state arizona and the baylor utah non-con games remaining on the schedule for a while, I really was, um, because I thought, hey, you know, it's, it's another opportunity to see these brand new matchups. They're not going to be every year. They're going to keep them on the schedule as much as they can, but an opportunity to see Kansas State and Arizona play early. You know, that's exciting. Kansas State's a good program. Arizona's, I think, still going to have a good team this year. They're bringing back Noah Fafita. So, like, the starting quarterback and their star wide receiver are, have already announced they're returning for Arizona. That is a huge thing for Arizona this coming season, so that is very exciting. So that should be that should be a good game. Utah, Baylor, we'll see what Baylor looks like. Utah getting Cam Rising back. And so these are fine. These are good. I changed my opinion. I I'm I was wrong. I'm happy to admit that I'm wrong when I am wrong. I say happy, like I'm willing to do so. I'm not like, yay, I'm wrong. It just happens a lot. Ask my wife. Uh, but I hate that they have kept these on the schedule. Oregon State and Cal scheduled a home and home for 24 and 25. That should have been Arizona and Kansas State. That should have been an easy swap. Like it should have been Kansas State and Arizona playing Cal or Oregon State in 24 and 25 instead of each other. Because all you have done now, and this was the argument against my whole like, I'm good with it and I get it. But with the way the narrative around the Big 12 continues to build heading into what will be a 12 team playoff next year adding two extra lo- or an extra loss on the schedule, which it's just one, but it is one, is not the best thing for the Big 12. Not in a new year, not in a new conference, not with the 16-team behemoth, conglomerate, whatever you want to call it. I wish they had found a way to find another non-conference opponent and to keep each other on here for two years. I think that's the biggest thing. The Baylor-Utah one, it's the second game of a two-game series. It was harder to find a one-off opponent. You wanted to keep power five? Fine. I, I, I can I can deal with that one. That's fine. I get it. The Kansas State-Arizona series, they should have canceled it. They should have talked to Oregon State and Cal. They should have gotten each other, those teams on the schedule instead, made a little swap. I think that would have been preferable. I wish they weren't playing this now. It'll be fun football to watch, but the Big 12 for the next two years is going to take an L it could have avoided. And so here we are. That's my Mia Culpa on this one. All right, let's talk basketball. Let's talk about men's basketball. That's what we're here to do. Uh, it was almost an unusual Saturday in the Big 12. An almost unusual Saturday. It was a really good and exciting Saturday. It was almost weird. Home teams ended up going 5-2. and two. Home teams are 25-10 and 10 on the season so far, which would have been really weird had the games not ended the way they did. Oklahoma State led in Manhattan for most of the second half. BYU was up 15 at the half in Lubbock. Baylor and Kansas both had late second half leads in their prospective games. All those teams, OSU, BYU, Baylor, Kansas, all on the road, they all lost. Home teams prevail. And so it remains incredibly difficult to pick up road wins in the Big 12. West Virginia now has wins at home 
over Kansas and Texas. West Virginia, who is rounding into form. We're going to get somebody to talk West Virginia probably next week, the week after, if West Virginia continues this turnaround now that they finally have a healthy roster. 12 for the Big 12, folks. If West Virginia wants to make a nice run, like, and then go to the Big 12 tournament and do what's never been done and, like, win the whole thing, that's fine. Because I'm still hashtag 12 from the 12, Big 12. Set the record for most teams from one conference to be in the NCAA tournament. It would be 12. Because, again, 11 from the Big East in 2011. We want 12 from the Big 12. That's the whole thing. Maybe that can happen. But it was a wild weekend. Let's start with BYU. That's why Nate is here. As we mentioned, BYU is up 15 and a half in Lubbock. I mean, it just it looked like you're like, all right, this is the this is the BYU of the non-conference, the BYU team we expected to see. They were 10 of 20 from beyond the arc in the first half. Then they were in three of 19 from three in the second half. Live by the three, die by the three. I I've got the CBB analytics graph that we've put out before of like the three-point shots versus free throws, and it's just becoming more and more comical of like BYU versus the rest of Big 12. We'll put it on Twitter because that's what we do. Nate, I, I need you to help me understand this BYU team a little bit more and just the, the philosophy of we're going to shoot them up whether they're going to go in or not. Yeah, you know, there's a good reason behind it, and BYU is still new to the conference, and so to kind of introduce BYU to everybody, there are certain restrictions BYU has that a lot of the people aren't aware of. I'm sure you guys have heard of the honor code. That's a big one. Philip, you walk into the testing center with your beard, and guess what? They're going to turn you away and say, go shave before you come back and take your test. Uh, so it's not just, you know, not getting with girls. It's not just drinking. It's not whatever. It's You can't even have a beard to take a test. Um, and so between the honor code, academics are also not very easy at BYU. Um, there's been a number of, of pretty big recruits who have been interested in transferring to BYU who didn't make it academically, and so they went elsewhere, um, including some players from the Big 12 who tried transferring to BYU and ended up going to other P4, P5 at that time schools. And so there's a lot of uh, difficult parameters athletes have to get around to get into BYU. And for that reason, BYU will never be the biggest team. They'll never be the most athletic team. They're never going to be the fastest team or the most talented team. But what BYU does have to offer is they've got tons of kids who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And in every Mormon church, they've got a gym. And in those gyms, they're popping threes from 30 feet, from 27 feet. And so that's just kind of what they do. They have to make up for the disadvantage they have from being smaller and less talented and and in turn, they, they're just firing up threes. And so it's it's part of the game plan. Coach Pope has said a number of times this year that the goal for the team is to attempt at least 35 three-pointers per game, which is nuts. And they're number one in the country in attempts per game. I believe they're now number two in makes per game. But if you're still making that many, you're probably not shooting too many because you're still going in. And there's, there's been games when BYU's had players go off. Trevin Nell went off a couple weeks ago for 10 three-pointers in one game. Uh, we had another player, Jackson Robinson, who hit eight three-pointers in one game. And I this is kind of a tangent. I feel kind of bad that Big 12 fans haven't been able to see Jackson Robinson at his full. The game after he hit his eight three-pointers in one game, he sprains his ankle. And he has just not returned to form. He finished last game, the second half, of the uh, Texas Tech game, he's over five from the three-point line, and that's just not 
what BYU fans are used to seeing from Jackson Robinson, but they're, they're definitely a live by the three, die by the three, but it's better than the alternative where if they weren't attempting that many threes, they honestly probably wouldn't be in many games. So they are, according to the NCAA stats that were updated on Sunday when we were recording this, uh, BYU is second in the country in three-point attempts per game uh, at 33.8. North Florida leads the country at 34.9. They've shot, wow, North Florida has shot 698 threes. BYU shot 609. Imagine your team shooting like 90 more threes. <laughs> and uh, they played two extra games, but I don't I don't really care. That's, that's incredible. Uh, they have field goals made. They're second in the country behind North Florida. Shot <laughs> an insane number of them. Played two extra games uh, and three points uh, per game. BYU at twelve point four. And then what do we got? Let's do the three point percentage because I do think that matters. Like we could talk about makes and we could talk about shots, but are when you're shooting that many, are you hitting him at a high percentage? I'm I'm looking for BYU, and I may have to go to the next page. And you probably that's, are. That's, yeah. That therein lies the problem. Okay, the t- number 51, top of page two at 36.78%. And I think that's the problem for BYU is if your strategy is going to be to have to shoot that many threes, like it's a difficult shot. You're not going to hit an insane number of them, right? Uh, not mm-hmm. when you've shot, how many total did we say? How many, uh, 609, 609. Indiana State shot 5'11". They're at 41%. I just, for BYU to win games, like they have to make those shots. And I think that's, I think the, the tale of two halves against Texas Tech on Saturday really showed like when they're hitting shots, they're going to beat you. Man. But when they go cold and going three from 19 is is pretty cold, like that is a problem, especially when they can't get to the free throw line. I know there's some BYU fans who've been complaining about, you know, foul and free throw discrepancies, but like, when you shoot a lot of threes, you're not going to get fouled as often. You're not going to go to the line as often. You're not getting as many and ones. And so there's just not going to, there's going to be a free throw discrepancy in every single game. Um, it seemed like it was okay in the first half. Texas Tech got to the line more in the second half, which is obviously a, a big impact in that game. It's just like, uh, do you think that, I mean, do you think BYU fans upset by the free throw discrepancies is is fair? Or do you think it's like, guys, come on, we're, we're, we're shooting threes. Like, you can't expect a lot of free throw attempts to go along with that. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think fans, are, they understand the adjustment from the WCC to the Big 12. The officiating is different. The speed and the talent of teams is different. I mean, just for reference, uh, we're recording on January 21st, 2024. And one year ago today, BYU was playing in front of 3,500 fans at San Francisco in an eight-point loss. And there was no juice in the gym. BYU basically had the same roster then as they have now. And it's just it's it almost feels like a completely different game from what BYU is playing in the WCC. And so I think BYU's done a better job at trying to get to the rim to get a few more free throws. They did a lot better against Iowa State than they did Texas Tech this last week. But there's, I think there's still a ways to go in figuring out exactly what they can do in Big 12 play to be competitive. Because at this rate, uh, truthfully, they're, they're just not a 
they're not a contender for a Big 12 championship. I think BYU is a really good team. And it's truthfully, it's frustrating to look at the WCC now and see that Gonzaga has slipped up and St. Mary's has slipped up because when BYU was in the league, they just weren't doing that. But BYU just needs to figure out talent-wise and recruiting and get everything cleaned up so that they can actually be a contender in the conference. But no, to answer your question, that was a tangent answer. No, BYU <laughs> fans, I don't think you're upset about the discrepancy. They understand, you know, we're firing off – 43 pointers a game. And I think they're more frustrated that the team settles for those shots, especially, I mean, BYU is up by a 17 at one point against Texas tech in the second half. And then the, the second half box score, BYU finishes shooting 13 of 37 and three of 19 from three. And fans at that point are just going, take it to the hoop. Like at least try to draw some contact, do something different because clearly the shot was not falling. I want to give a, the, a shout out. It's going to lead to a question for you. Um, UCF fans have absolutely been incredible. They have been packing their arena. Uh, I was speaking with a couple of the Suns UCF guys, and like the response there has been great. Like if you watch that arena on TV, like UCF fans have bought into being in the Big Twelve, and I, and I do think like being in the Big Twelve, like you you have to be you have to buy in on men's basketball. If you're going to be part of this conference. Like there, that is a, that is demanded of you, and they have responded in kind. And I want to give them a huge shout out because that that arena looks electric. And I, I think the stat I saw was they better had two of the ten biggest crowds in that arena so far this season. That um, may have changed uh, since I last uh, had that that stat that I saw. But like you've already had two of the top ten in one season. Like that's that's the impact of being in the Big Twelve. How do you feel like BYU fans have responded similarly um, to joining the conference? I think it's been extremely similar. I think fans love it. The The Texas game, so BYU this next week plays Houston on Tuesday at home, and then they, they play Texas at home on Saturday. And the Texas game has been sold out for a few weeks now. And the, the Houston game, there's only a couple hundred tickets left. But BYU's arena is, is very big. It used to hold 23,000. They put in some new seating. It's now there's 18,000. But it's a very big stadium. And when that place gets rocking, it's I think it's a really difficult place to play. Mark Few last year, the coach at Gonzaga, was talking about how it compares up to Kentucky and Kansas and Duke, just because it, it gets it gets bumping. We call it Marriott Center magic. So if you ever interact with BYU fans during basketball season on Twitter, you'll see you'll see fans talk about Marriott Center magic. But fans have definitely bought in. There, you'll see BYU Big Twelve bumper stickers on cars and T-shirts and hats. And I think fans have really enjoyed being in a league that is finally at the power structure. BYU's fought for so long to get to this level. And now that they're finally here, I think fans are really happy about it. Even for the women's side, they were impressive. Like it was the listed attendance was 1800, but like it was a very legitimate 1800 then. And they were extremely engaged. Like I was really, really blown away when we were out there with the environment, like a ways before tip off, we're looking around and we're like, ah, all right, like looks pretty normal. And then when people got in, they were coming all the way down, getting close to the floor. And they were like, they were in it. They bring the posters and everything, which you love to see more teams getting in on that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun environment. And honestly, it's like that for just about every sport. Even, you know, men's and women's volleyball, BYU is huge into that. You can go to baseball games and softball games and it's basically sold out. Softball is kind of a, an anomaly because they don't actually sell tickets to softball games. And so it's free. 
And so there's no reason to not go, especially if it's a nice, like 60 degrees and sunny out in, in March, it's, it's fun to go to. And we'll talk more softball later, but BYU softball is interesting. They can't play home games the first six weeks of the season because it's snowing. And so it's, it's a good time. I hope big 12 fans have had good experiences. Sorry. as my dog comes in. I hope the big, fan, <laughs> big 12 fans have enjoyed having BYU in the conference and, um, I think BYU fans are also going to show out to their venues. So don't feel, don't feel afraid or anything to reach out and ask questions. And we're all just here for a good time. I saw some Texas tech fan on, on Twitter talking about how, how great B or a BYU fan talking about how great Texas tech fans were, which I don't know if that's just BYU. Everyone likes BYU. They're like, yeah, you're yeah. cool. Welcome. Okay. We're all nice. Uh, they also won. So it makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't hurt. Uh, yeah. You mentioned BYU hosts Houston, uh, on Tuesday at 8 p.m., I will note BYU fans, just be aware, Houston is currently 11th in the country at three-point percentage defense, holding teams to 27.9% from three. And obviously they haven't faced a team that shoots the three ball like BYU does as far as in number, but just something to keep an eye on. We'll talk a little bit more Houston defense uh, here in a few minutes. Uh, Nate, feel free to stick around if you want. we got a few more men's topics uh, to hit on. Let's let's talk about Texas Tech on this comeback. Uh Oh, Texas Tech. Shout out to Gambling Gauchos because they shared this one on Twitter and I just I had to talk about it. Texas Tech, uh, according to ESPN's Game Flow win probability, you know, they do those graphics with it. They're just so much fun and dumb. Dumb as I'll get out. Let me just preface it by saying, like, this is not real, like, mathematics. When it's like, this team is, has a 199% chance of winning this game. And the next thing you know, it's like two seconds later, it's like, nope, 0% now. Congrats. Um, I, <laughs> I love, I love this. But, uh, in three different games, three Big 12 games, Texas Tech at one point in the game against Texas had a 17 point, 17% chance to win. Against Kansas State had a 9% chance to win. And against BYU had a 5% chance to win. Texas Tech won all three of those by a combined 19 points. I just like what Grant McCaslin has done so far in year two at Texas Tech and the fact that they set a tie to top the conference stands with Kansas State. And we got a long ways to go. Like I'm not, I'm not sitting here like, whoop, we found our our Big Twelve champion. It's Texas Tech, haha. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm saying. I just, I'm very impressed with what is happening in Texas Tech and their ability to, in these situations, to find a way to come back in ways they have. They fa- like we're, we're done with the like, well, the, who have they played so far? You, you, yeah, you got pants by Houston on the road. Lots of teams are going to do that. Coming back the way to against BYU, who's ranked. Coming back on the way you did against Kansas State. Coming back on the road at Texas. Texas is getting wins. Like, they're not great, but they're not terrible. Like, there's still an interesting uh, next few games for Texas Tech. They actually have the week off. They don't play until next Saturday at Oklahoma. But, like, I've been impressed with Texas Tech and, and the way that they have fought as hard as they have, especially at home. Texas was on the road in Big 12 play and just – this season, like the, the non-conference schedule was not as good as we thought it might be before the season started. Like Michigan's meh, uh, ORU, okay, they took a dive off. Vanderbilt's, oh, huh. like, it's been okay. But like the way they played in Big 12 play so far, I, it's just full credit to them for the way they've been able to come back in these games. At some point, it's not going to happen. Like you're going to get down big and you're not going to mount a comeback. But to continue Yeah, let me tell you that, all about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to continually find ways to do it so far this season, very impressive. Did, did you want you want that's women's conference conversation, right, Jamie? You want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, no, that's. I mean, it's literally the way that Iowa State 
played to start the conference season, and then it, it catches up with you eventually. But it does say something about your team to be able to battle back. Yeah, very much so. Over and over again. Uh, Jerome Tang, speaking of battling back or close games. Okay. Um, don't get into a close game with Jerome Tang. Just don't do it. That's the best thing for your team is to is to get up as as big as you can on Kansas State and hold them at at like a forearm's length. Jerome Tang is now ten and zero in overtime as the head coach at Kansas State, and he is ten and four in games decided by five or fewer points. I I need to understand what it is that they are doing. See you, Nate. Nate's leaving. You can't. Uh, this is a podcast, so it's an audio uh, medium, so you can't see him waving bye bye. But he's gonna go take the dog. He's gonna go walk the dog. Literally the dog, and it's not a weird thing. Um, Jerome Tang is 10-0 in overtime. I'm going to repeat that. As head coach at Kansas State, and 10-4 in games decided by five or fewer points. That is absolutely incredible to be in situations like that, to either get the game to overtime and win it, or to have a close game and win. Kansas State fans were losing their mind on Saturday. I'm like scrolling through Twitter because they just, they can't, Oklahoma State was holding them at arm's length at like the second half, at like five-point lead, six-point lead, seven-point lead, eight-point lead. Now, Oklahoma State's ending of that game was inevitable. Um, sorry, it just is, because Oklahoma State's not good in close games. They're closing games out. And Kansas State pulled off the comeback. And in another close game, got the win. It is incredible to have that kind of record. Like, these things are supposed to balance out. And over the next five, ten years, it will to some extent. But to have the record this way, in his second we're talking in second year as head coach, not like two years in. We're a season and a half in. To have the record in overtime and close games like this, that says a lot about you as a coach and your coaching staff. To have those guys mentally prepared in these situations to consistently find ways to win games. Yeah, because there's like you, you could make an argument of okay, are there times where they're going, they're keeping games close that they perhaps shouldn't, where they then have some kind of advantage that they should have capitalized on more during regulation. But like at the end of the day, whatever you're doing that means you end up being close or going to overtime, like that means that you change it down the stretch. And a lot of people can't do that, even if you are against a team that you are far superior to. So it's it's really, it, it is a very interesting anomaly. Like that is just so far past where something should randomly end up. Well, and when you play in the Big 12 and looking at the last three games, the, the, the five or fewer points, they're two and one. In such in such games, in the last three games in Big Twelve play at Texas Tech, home for Baylor, and home for Oklahoma State, like in a Big Twelve conference where night in night out it is an absolute gruel. With every all these games that are close and exciting, to be able to kind of feel like in your back pocket, we know how to handle ourselves in situations like this, in a conference where games are so tight so often. That's that's a very valuable thing to have, like, and I there does come a point where it's like you kind of want to know what it is that they do there to prepare themselves for that because everybody wants to win close games and you know we talk on football about how the like one score game record typically it's about a fifty fifty and then there's coaches who are god awful at it <clears throat> Matt Campbell and there are coaches who are who have a very good record in it Mike Gundy like it's. Interesting to see in basketball if you're able to play that many close games in a conference like this to consistently find ways to win them more often or not. That is very impressive. 
Uh, okay, let's move to Houston real quick. I said the defense, right? We talked about that three-point defense. Um, let's talk a little Houston defense for a second. I don't know which incredible stat to start with. So I'm, I'm going to talk about the fact that Houston honestly has the best defense in the country. I, I'm, I feel comfortable saying that. We talk about CBB analytics all the time. Shout out to them. Uh, defensive rating is an 80.9. It's 100% that. Like they are, they are one of the best defenses in the country, hands down. Opponent effective field goal percentage is 40.1%. That is fantastic. That is just absolutely fantastic. Scoring defense, NCAA. Houston's giving up 51 points per game to their opponents. That leads the nation. Next closest is Virginia. Virginia, we always talk about Virginia. Virginia is one of the best defenses in the country, right? They're number two at 58.1. That is a 7.1 point per game difference. The distance, be- the difference between one and two is the same as the difference between second and 36th in the country. That's how good Houston is. The non-conference, like, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Houston has held every single opponent they face this season to below their season average in points by an average of 23.8. Think about that for a second. By an average of 23.8. The closest anyone has gotten to hitting their season average against Houston was Texas A&M, who is 8.8 points below their average. Everyone else is double digits. I think the next closest, let's look, is uh, was Utah by 14.1. Houston defense is like, and, and it's a perfect fit for the Big 12 because we love defense in the Big 12, right? Like that is absolutely ridiculous. One of the reasons for it, I love CBB analytics uh, graphs. I got another one I'm going to put out. There's a steal percentage versus block percentage. So, you know, block goes up, steal goes left. All the way up there, all alone in the upper right corner, which is like exactly what you'd like to be, is Houston. And then there's everybody else most by on the bottom left corner. It's not just that they're like, oh, well, they, they're really good at blocks. They're 12th in the country at 5.6 blocks per game. Oh, they're also good at steals per game. Uh, they are 6th in the country at 10.6. Like, good gracious. It's just ridiculous. I'm, I'm sorry. The distance in opponent points per game between one and two is the same as the distance between second and 36th. That's, I'm just going to have to tweet out a bunch of random Houston defense stats this week. It's just what's, that's what Monday's going to be. That's what Monday's going to be is a whole lot of that. Jamie, that seems good, right? seems good to you. It, yeah. I mean, the, again, like just the odds of that are, are absurd. And when you're looking at a team that does that, you'd expect there to be like one specific player perhaps or or, like one really key focus and it's just that they're so balanced and they do so many things really well like it really is it's crazy for uh a lot of reasons it it really is just absurd in in a million ways just like you were saying like everything they do defensively is really good and so that gives you a lot of leeway with the way that you play your game it's i don't know it's it's crazy also ridiculous charlie hustle haha we're gonna call them the uh the houston defense of collegiate apparel because it's just 
so, so good. The designs for the Big 12 schools, the stuff they keep putting out, the basketball apparel they just put out for Kansas and Kansas State, Houston. Oh, it's so good. Absolutely fantastic. Charlie Hustle, of course, a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best-dressed fan this season. Men's, women's basketball, baseball, softball, plenty of season left to go. So be sure that you check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today. Show off your school spirit all year long. The basketball stuff is so good. It's basketball season. You need basketball gear. You need basketball specific gear. If you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, by the way, their Kansas City stuff is fantastic. They've got player tees, great NIL deals with a bunch of Kansas and Kansas State players, including a couple from the women's basketball team. Did you know? Aoka Lee. We'll talk about her here in a little bit. The varsity jackets for the Big 12 schools that they have. Oh, man. They've got the Big Beak Kansas Jayhawk logo. Oh, on a, on a varsity jacket? Oof. Oof. Oof, 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 oof. Go to charliehustle.com. Use the promo code 101215. T-E-N-1215. Get 15% off all non-sale items. I've got every current Big 12 school except for Cincinnati. Keep Cincinnati fans. Just just tweet at Cincinnati. That will help. It'll help. It's not Charlie Hustle's fault. I promise. Just tweet at Cincinnati. Just tweet at the athletic department. Whoever's in charge of those things, find out who they are. Send them same emails. Nothing horrible. Just be like, can we be on Charlie Hustle, please? That's all you gotta do. Please let us on Charlie Hustle. We want Cincinnati gear on Charlie Hustle. They got Colorado too. Go shop now. Promo code 101215, 15% off all non-sale items. Go check them out. Tell them the 1012 Network sent you. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, Jamie, we got to talk a little women's hoops. I say a little. We got we got some topics to talk about. You know what? <clears throat> this was the, our big talking story of the week. And so why don't we get this? I want, I want you to go ahead and just, just release all of it. Release all the pent up, everything that's inside of you. Go ahead and let it out. Okay. This will be very therapeutic. Uh, obviously, Iowa State did not play a game on Saturday because the game against TCU was canceled because TCU was down to reportedly six healthy players. Uh, Sedona Prince did put out a video on TikTok. We tweeted that one out. Kind of tried to explain the situation of what has happened to each of the players. Obviously, they've got uh, Sedona Prince has been out for a while and will be out uh, for a little bit longer at least. They had two other starters or marquee players uh, who are at season ending. One was an injury. One has decided to have season ending surgery. They've had other players who've been out for a while for various reasons. They were down to six players. They forfeited two games. Um, the explanation from the school has been, let's just say, not really withcoming. It doesn't really come out with much of an explanation for anything. Just kind of like, oh, this is what we're going to do. Um, Kansas State fans were pissed. The ones who didn't get a refund for their tickets have every right to be as pissed off as they want. Um, I don't... Uh, they, uh, Jamie, every, at this point, I feel like everybody knows if they listen to, last, to our, our episode and our interview with Melissa Trebwasser, who covers TCU and does a fantastic job, multi-time guest here on the show. JSJ, um, the floor is yours. It... It's just absurd that something like that can happen. And I'm not saying it's TCU's fault. I'm not even saying like that for sure it's avoidable. But like the idea that something like that would happen on the men's side is so ridiculous. 
it is, I mean, it's just laughable. Like I saw a really good article from uh, a guy down south who's covered a lot of TCU. And that was kind of the whole core of what he had to say. I, I reposted it on Twitter. And it was just that, how does this happen? And the answer is, quote, no one cares. Not to say that no one actually cares, but that the perception of fewer people care about women's sports and you can get away with just canceling games or whatever is okay. Like you're, you're, you're talking about the two top teams of the conference. One that is close enough that they had a significant number of people traveling to the game that was canceled that day when Kansas state was already in Texas. And so they also had all of their expenses of getting there and back. And then you have an Iowa State team that averages over 9,000 fans per game that would have had a packed house because people are excited about a young team and haven't had the opportunity to see them play for a hot second because plot twist, weather in Iowa sucks. So it's really hard to get to games. So you've already lost out on multiple games worth of fans, essentially, because people were told flat out, don't leave your house. And some people still did and came to the games. Bless them. Hope they were safe. But then you have your one home game in multiple weeks, your one Saturday home game in a literal month just canceled out of nowhere. Like, again, yeah, yeah you got to be safe. You got to watch out for your kids. But... The Big 12 in the offseason then needs to figure out some kind of process, some kind of, you know, checklist or whatever, so that there's some transparency when something like this occurs. Because otherwise, what what is holding anyone accountable? Like, I'm not saying you have to go out and publish people's private medical information. But if I knew that, yes, this is the checklist that a team has to present to the Big 12, not even necessarily make it public, but if there was a guarantee that, yes, this has been confirmed, this is what it was, and that's how it goes, I would at least feel better about it. Like right now, there's just really no official policy. And so you're sitting there like, well, I want to assume that this is all above board, but it's just an insane situation. So I just, I very desperately hope that the Big 12 addresses it and makes the more concrete uh, guidelines there because I don't ever want to have to have this conversation again. It's so stupid. Yeah, there, obviously there's some changes that are going to have to be put in place. Like rules exist for a reason. They exist because somebody did something and now I had to put a rule into place. They didn't have a clarification in case of this well now they're gonna have to um so that we can we can understand again i don't think i don't think there's anything malicious i don't think there's ill intent and i don't think the big 12 is gonna just let this fly um obviously there has to be some sort of some proof of there is really a concern about player safety at this point i would there's no one's gonna talk about this again because it's i, I mean this both as as honest as I can without being a slight at women's basketball, it's a women's basketball story. People aren't going to pry or push hard enough. They're not going to push like it would if it was a men's basketball or a football story. And so it's probably just going to be, this is what it is. 
TCU will play their next game, probably. Well, because that's the other thing is then if this is all 1000% genuine, then there needs to be an investigation into what is being done in practices, into what is being done in your strength and conditioning, in your training rooms, because that is unreal. Like to have someone break their finger, to have someone blow out their knee happens. Even to have another kid need surgery, that's getting pretty tough, but that happens too. But then if you're losing two to three more players to nagging chronic issues, then there needs to be some kind of discussion into the way things are being run there because that is a little bit over the top. Uh, TCU did. They, they had to put out a call to see if they could find some more players to put on the roster because they apparently didn't have enough, as we know. Uh, they did get a commitment from uh, Sarah Sylvester, who has been a star on their volleyball team, will now be a dual sport athlete for TCU, will be joining the basketball squad for the remainder of the season. So that'll be fun. I mean, she's, I assume she's tall. I didn't look up her bio or, like, stats, but here we are. Uh, TCU's next game on the schedule is currently hosting UCF on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. It's only a Big 12 women's basketball game on Tuesday. Uh, so, I mean, at this point, you'd think they're going to have to play that game. Because oh, if they're not, they better have a... <laughs> now we're going to really get into like, all right, no more like skating by. Like, we, you you need to explain what's going on. All right, let's, let's, that's enough talk about TCU women's basketball for now. The big story that came out this week in regards to the Big 12 as well is that Kansas State Center star in the Big 12, star for Kansas State, Aoka Lee, is going to be out for roughly four weeks uh, because of an ankle injury. She had surgery on Friday, uh, a day after test revealed a small fracture in her ankle. So she's going to miss at least four weeks. That should have her back potentially for the last week of the regular season. I would I would think that they're going to ease her back in as best they can. Uh, and then, of course, you'll have the Big 12 tournament before the NCAA tournament. Um, this is obviously going to – this sucks. I mean, plain and simple, this sucks. Um, it's going to have a huge impact on the Big 12 title race for the regular season. It's going to have a huge impact on Kansas State seeding. Like this is a team that's continued to kind of seemingly moved up and up and could have been playing for hosting at home, at least through the first, uh, first couple of games. Like the impact of this for Kansas State is, is huge. I hate it. I hate it for the Big 12 title race. Uh, and Jamie, I mean, this is going to have a huge impact on the player of the year race in the Big 12 as well. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it really affects everything. Like you said, for the Big 12 nationally, it affects a lot. Uh, this is a Kansas State team that jumped up to seven in the rankings this past week. Uh, and they they certainly shouldn't drop since they did take care of business against Kansas uh, in a kind of weird twist of fate. Tyana Jackson took a shot to the face in the first quarter and apparently lost a couple teeth. So she didn't play most of the game either. So you had a, a fate. It, it went from two of the best bigs in the big 12 to two teams playing without their star center. So uh, that's a little bit wild, but K-State took care of business there. And then obviously had the midweek forfeit. So uh, shouldn't really see a whole lot of difference as far as their ranking currently, but it, it it's really tough. Um, Aoka Lee is, is someone who I obviously love to watch play. I'm really into post play. She is by 
all reports, a great person, a great teammate, really fun to watch. And so uh, I was really excited to see her play again this year. There had been kind of rumors and whispers of, oh, is she even going to be capable of playing, of coming back from yet another knee injury? And and she quieted that really quick. She's been terrific. She's played significant minutes. Uh, she's someone who coming in, I thought, okay, finish out your college career on a high note, and that's probably going to be it. And all of a sudden, what she was doing was getting the attention of pro teams and and coaches there and so you're starting to talk about her again as a legitimate pro prospect and so uh having another injury take her out is is really impactful for that perception and for the way that she's looked at there she does potentially have another year of eligibility so uh that is another wrinkle where Previously, I would have said, if you can be healthy this entire season, do that and then go, because who knows how long that's going to hold out. But now if you're getting hurt, uh, you may need another season to prove that you can keep it together for a year. And if not, you might as well just write out your career. But uh, obviously, that'll be her own decision that we'll probably hear about much later. But for Kansas State... They have a supporting cast that is a lot of the same players as last year where they they kind of figured some stuff out as the season went on, but a little bit up and down. Uh, and then this year have been inconsistent in ways as well. And so best case scenario for them, they're forced to figure things out and get back to their best form that they can before Aoka comes back. And so she comes back and maybe she has improved players around her. Worst case you don't get it figured out and you're so used to relying on her that you struggle. And they in fact did not do that against Kansas. Uh, they had a really significantly Kansas clawed back into it, uh, but they took care of business at home uh, against them. So that was certainly a, a positive for them, but obviously a lot remains to be seen going forward. And then when you talk about the, player of the year race in the big 12 <laughs> that is the third player that i would put in potentially the top three of candidates that is either done for the season or missing significant time with rory Harmon, sedona prince and now ioka leaf all three of whom would also have been defensive player of the year candidates so, I mean, all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're jumping around the conference and you're like, well, who, who is even an option? And, and I've been having these conversations with people because I'm like, okay, I know where my thoughts are, but am I, am I completely off base? Am I crazy? And we're at the point now where you're likely going to say, okay, top two three, four, maybe five teams. It's going to be the best player on one of them. But that could be a freshman with the way that they're playing, with with the reliance that teams have on freshmen this year. Because there's some there's more experienced players that are putting up really impressive numbers. And and you know that's all well and good. But a lot of them that are putting up the craziest numbers are on teams that are not very good. And you simply are not going to see a player of the year that's in the bottom half of the conference. That's 
just not something that's going to happen. So we'll, this will be kind of a segue into what we'll talk about here next, which is the freshman, but the player of the year race is crazy. If Aoka comes back as soon as possible, she could still be in it. Um, but the fact that she's having surgery for a fracture, like a lot of times you can just kind of set that and wear a boot and recover. Um, so the having surgery indicates it's fairly serious and you don't want to screw up her entire future career trying to rush back. So I would be very surprised if she is, is back playing significant minutes in, in the four weeks they said she could be back in. Uh, yeah, we want to we want to wrap the women's conversation on on the freshman class. Um, you put out on Twitter. I'm going to read your tweet. Then I'll let you elaborate. Um, this is incredible. So Big Twelve freshmen uh, since 2009 2010 season, 40 freshmen have averaged double digit scoring, um, and three seasons, three times have we seen five freshmen do that in a season. Um, there are eight freshmen all averaging double figure scoring right now. That is. That's incredible. That is that is incredible. So you you talked about potentially seeing a freshman win player of the year. I mean, are we kind of seeing what could be just like a really good Big 12 for the next few years because you've got this young crop of talent who's only going to continue in theory to develop and and build and get better and better? Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can keep these groups together, um if you can keep them in the league, it's it's going to be unreal. Um, yeah, the 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 full of what I put out was 40 freshman average double-digit scoring. Out of that, six out of the 40 have missed the all-freshman team, and there's eight that are doing it right now. So there's, there's going to be some snub there, all right, that generally would make it. Uh, and then as I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know, what, what, these, what these players are doing is unreal. And so there are right now – at least six players, potentially as many as eight that are putting up numbers that would put them in freshman of the year consideration in many past years. Uh, and, and of them, someone's not going to make the all freshman team. Like that is that that's beyond. And, and there's 14 players that would probably warrant consideration for all freshman team in recent years, especially if you compare to last year where it was a relatively weak class where you had some, some players that weren't really playing a whole lot, you know, they, they did good things and especially ones that started playing more down the stretch. So the averages are a little bit off, but uh, last year was comparably a, a weaker year for freshmen in the big 12. And then all of a sudden this year, you're seeing things that we have never seen done before. And so I just keep digging. Um, and since 2009-2010, so a lot of this I, I use her hoop stats as well, um, and their database goes back to 2009-2010. From that time until now, there have been nine players in the Big 12 that have led their team in scoring as a freshman. Nine in the past 15. 25, no, 15, 15 years. My <laughs> Lord, do not try and get me to do that. 15-ish years. Nine, nine of them. One of them was Aoka in her redshirt freshman year at K-State, but like that obviously still counts. Um, 
currently four teams are being led in scoring by freshmen right now. That's Iowa State led by Audie Crooks, Kansas led by Samaya Nichols, Oklahoma State led by Staley Hurd, and then Texas led by Madison Booker. Um, it's it's crazy. I mean, we're gonna see some things that have not ever happened. The last time a freshman made first team All Big Twelve was Aoka Lee in 2020 when she was a redshirt freshman. Before that, Joyner Holmes did it in 2017, um, and then Rory Harmon was second team in 2022. You could potentially have multiple on there, and and you're looking at the top couple freshmen as being 100% in the player of the year race because they're putting up great numbers. They're putting up the top numbers on their own team where, you know, if, if you had an experienced player alongside them that was really putting up numbers that by default would probably go to them. They're not. They're really leading the team. And their their teams are good. It's it's really crazy. Um, the reliance on freshmen and and their their preparedness to be relied upon is unlike anything I've really ever seen before. It's it's so exciting. And so even you know you've got Texas leaving, so Madison Booker won't be a big 12 player anymore but the rest of them certainly going to be right here certainly going to be right in it uh I mean you talk about people who don't get as much shine you've got a duo out at BYU that's doing really great things and Kaylee Wilson and Amari Whiting they've been really impressive K-State has a duo coming off the bench that aren't putting up crazy crazy numbers but they're extremely capable and so they're going to be able to build off of each other and then Iowa State has all five of their freshmen averaging over 15 minutes per game, which generally just doesn't happen at any level. Uh, it's it's so fun. It is just so fun and so exciting to think about. It's something that I know our freshmen at Iowa State say a lot, where they say, well, you know, we have we have a lot of goals for this year. We have high hopes for this season, but they're thinking big picture. They're thinking long-term of for everything that we do now, win, lose, or otherwise, it prepares us for taking the next step and, and how good they can potentially be. I think it's incredible. I, the player of the year race is this, the, the whole big 12 on the mid side is, is going to be interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. with, with the Oakley league missing essentially a month, Kansas State currently sits atop the standings at seven and zero, only undefeated team. Iowa State and Oklahoma are both new. Kansas Iowa State's a game back. Oklahoma's a game and a half back because they've only played six as opposed to seven. Texas, West Virginia, Baylor, all with two losses. But Kansas State is going to have to turn around on Monday night and go to Baylor, and you get BYU, then road trips to Oklahoma and Texas before a nice break before OSU, and so you look at the schedule and say. Like there, it's not going to be. It's going to be hard without her. Um, but if they want to, if they want to win this conference, at least be sitting in a position by the time she comes back to to win the regular season. Like they're going to have to step up, and they're going to have to step up quickly because three of their next four over the next two weeks are on the road. 
including games at Baylor and Texas and a game at Oklahoma, who's just a game and a half back. So like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy for them uh, over the next month without her or the next two weeks without her. So, and it's uh, definitely against teams that are primed to take advantage of them without her, like especially a, a Baylor team that you are coming off of limited rest and the, their one glaring flaw has been their post play. Well, now you're on even footing and I think, they they got to be looking at it as their big opportunity if they want to stay in the Big 12 title race. It's not do or die, but if you win that, it puts you solidly in there still. Man, just it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild race to the end here between Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas. I mean, the West Virginia Baylor. I understand. Like, I think that's a fair kind of cutoff point to say like. Nobody's out of this now that Aoka Lee is out for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Jamie, uh, love the expertise as always. Everybody do yourself a favor. Go give Jamie a follow on Twitter slash X at J-S-T-E-Y-Z. You can follow us there as well at 1012 Network, uh, 1012 Pod on Instagram and Threads, 1012 Podcast on YouTube. Go give a follow on everything. We got a lot of stuff planned for the next uh, couple weeks. We got a lot of... Softball season's almost here, folks. I'm just gonna say it. Like softball season is almost here, and we we've got a plan in place, and I'm very excited about it. It's gonna be really good. We have uh, we got a lot of people lined up. We've gonna have guests lined up. It's gonna be a good time. I am I am thrilled for what we have coming to cover Big Twelve softball, and so we'll continue our basketball coverage every Monday. Uh, we'll get some football mixed in here and there as well, and so make sure you're subscribed. Share the podcast with a friend if you would. We'd appreciate it. Leave us a rating and a review. Five stars, please. And a review on on iTunes would be great. We haven't gotten one since uh, December. December was the last time we got one. So I would like to see our first review of 2024 on iTunes. If somebody would be ever so willing, I would prefer it be good and not bad. But, you know, I guess I'll get what I get. So uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Don't ask me with what it will be because if I tell you, it won't happen. I'll talk to you all again then. Podcast Network.